What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer, Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Available wherever you get podcasts. All right, so I took a little vacation, my last vacation this summer, but we're back at it, marching towards training camp. About a month away before uh, things really open up in earnest for the Blazers. And uh, as a special sort of countdown to training camp, I'm going to do things a little bit differently in the next three or four weeks. We're going to go day by day, review each player on the roster, and go through uh, their previous year in review, sort of a best case and worst case scenario for that player, and then a realistic role and expectations for this season with the Blazers. Uh, Each episode we'll look at one player. We might combine a couple if we get right down to it, but I hope to to do uh, 14 of these separately and a 15th one for Jalen Horde, the two-way player. So we've got 15 episodes lined up getting you ready for training camp, all the things you need to know to uh, sound like an expert, or at least um, all the things I think you should know so you can disagree with me, which you can always do at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. We're going to start with the big one, the biggest one, in fact, size-wise, Hassan Whiteside. Let's run it back. In 72 games with the Miami Heat last year, including 53 starts, Hassan Whiteside averaged 12.3 points, 11.3 rebounds, 1.9 blocks per game. He shot 57.1% from the floor and a career worst 44.9% from the free throw line down from 70% the previous season. He led the league in total rebound percentage, which means he grabbed the highest percentage of rebounds of anyone in the league when he was on the floor. Also led the league in defensive rebound percentage. He's a monster around the glass. Uh, according to basketball reference, he has the best individual defensive rating in the NBA, if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, by another metric, though, NBA.com, the way they track on-off numbers and defensive rating, the Heat were a little bit better when on defense when Hassan Whiteside sat. And sit he did. Uh, Whiteside started the first 53 games when he was available for, uh, for the Heat. And then he had a hip pointer injury at the very end of February of last year, caused him to miss three games. Um... And then basically during that, it was about a six-day stretch, but three games, um, he kind of lost his spot. The the Heat des- decided to go with Bam Adebayo at center, and they stuck with that over the final 20 games of the regular season. Hassan Whiteside became a bench player, backing up the second-year center from Kentucky. Uh, overall, Hassan, um, Hassan Whiteside's counting numbers, points and rebounds, were worse when he was reserved than when he started. That makes sense, right? He played 25 minutes a game as a starter and 17 a game as as a reserve. Less minutes, less points, Just uh, if you're just looking at pure counting stats. His scoring dropped from uh, 12.9 a game in games he started to, to 10.6, and his rebounds were down to 8.8 a game compared to 12.3 when he started. So, I mean, just the obvious stuff. Six less minutes on the court, that's you know basically two, a full shift uh, per quarter that he's not playing. His numbers were a little bit down. But many of his advanced metrics were better when he came off the bench. Um Probably in large part because he's playing against backups, and he's just probably a little bit better than most backup centers, if not a lot better than most backup centers, um, depending on who you're playing each night. But what stands out is that uh, he was healthy to play 72 games. That's important. Uh, A center who can stay on the floor is valuable in the league. And the things that he does well, he was still pretty good at. A rebounding monster... And a guy that, even though he didn't approach his career high in blocks per game, still blocked almost two a night. I mean, he's, he's still a force around the rim at his size. But eventually, this summer, the Heat made uh, f- 
partially financial, probably in some ways competitive decision. They traded as a part of a larger, a much larger four-team trade um, that allowed them to acquire Jimmy Butler and sign him to a max contract. They sent Hassan Whiteside to the Blazers in exchange for uh, Myers Leonard. They also, in that same, Miami in that same trade, had to give out a, a draft pick in order to get off out from under some of that money. Gave, away jo- gave Josh Richardson to the Sixers and rerouted Mo Harkless to the Clippers. Now, the trade is only important because you understand that uh, Miami was willing to part ways with Hassan Whiteside without acquiring a starting level center. Um, they're, you know, they're moving into a situation where they feel like some combination of Bam Adebayo, Kelly Olynyk, and Myers Leonard can soak up the minutes at the five and will get them where they feel like they need to go. They're probably not a contending team, but a, a team with playoff aspirations for sure. But why Whiteside landed with the Blazers is, is kind of the, um, you know, the opposite side of that coin. Without Yusuf Nurkic in the starting lineup, uh, he's probably going to be out until at least February. He's one of these guys. We'll revisit Yusuf uh, in, in a future one of these episodes. But uh, without Yusuf Nurkic in the, in, in the middle, the Blazers were um, had some question marks as do they ha- did they have a starting caliber five on the roster? They s- very clearly feel like they didn't. They moved quickly in the opening stages of free agency, the opening days of free agency, to get involved in this Jimmy Butler four-team trade, to approach the Miami, Miami Heat and say, let's... Um, let us be involved and help you cap-wise with what you need and also get fill a need for us. The Blazers see Whiteside as a starting caliber center and someone who can hold down the fort for at least until February and likely, or at least if needed, the entire season into the playoffs. That's how they view him. Now, there's, I think there's a lot of permutations for how this could work out with Whiteside. The Blazers have cleared the, the Blazers roster is set up such that he is their starting center and their best center by a wide margin, most likely, depending on how you feel about Zach Randolph. But I think there's some best case, worst case scenario stuff that we have to discuss with us on Whiteside, and that's what we'll do in the second segment. But before I do that, I want to tell you guys about Crossover Wednesday. The NFL season begins. Thursday, September 5th, which means Crossover Wednesday will be back for the entire NFL regular season. You will get a special episode every Wednesday as a host from Opposing Sides meet up to preview the excitement of the games happening that week. Find your favorite team wherever you get podcasts and be sure not to miss the NFL listeners' favorite segment. That's Crossover Wednesdays. Check it out. All right, welcome back. Still locked on Blazers, still Mike Richmond, and we're still talking Hassan Whiteside. We gave you his year in review briefly in the first segment. And the second segment, I want to talk about best case and worst case scenarios, specifically for the Blazers. And I want to preface this, and I'll preface all these segments this way. The worst case scenario is some sort of physical injury or ailment. I am not going to address those. Of course, for every player in the NBA, the worst case scenario is some injury that comes up um, and shortens their season, shortens their career, whatever it is. I'm talking about basketball stuff. The best case and worst case scenario that can happen on the court. Um, We can all entertain uh, the worst case scenarios without me going into detail. But this, I want to give you the best case scenario for what Hassan Whiteside is going to be like on the court and the worst case scenario for what Hassan Whiteside could be like when he's on the court for the Blazers. Let's start good and end bad because I'm just better at the bad stuff. Your natural pessimist here. So the best case scenario for Son Whiteside? 
is that the 2016-17 version of him returns. That's when he was a defensive force. He led the league in rebounds per game. He led the league in blocks per game. And he earned himself a $100 million contract off the strength of that season. So the best case scenario is that guy returns. A defensive force who leads the league in blocks, blocking over three and a half a game, and anchoring a top flight Blazers defense. Uh, that would be a guy who could erase a lot of the perimeter question marks in the Blazers' defense by becoming one of the top rim protectors in the league. And and if nothing else, if he doesn't block shots, a guy who is engaged on defense and deters people from driving to the rim. If you think the Blazers' perimeter defense dropped off by what they did this summer, the addition of Whiteside and this best-case scenario version of him kind of covers up some of those issues. And offensively, the best case for Hassan Whiteside is he gets back to making free throws at a reasonable level. He can't shoot 45% from the free throw line. He's almost unplayable at that rate. You can foul him every time he touches the ball. So he gets back to making free throws. I don't think he needs to make 80% and become this ace of the free throw line, but he shot 70% for an entire season two years ago. If he can get back to that level, that's the best case scenario for him. And in addition to that, Offensively, he becomes a vertical threat in the pick-and-roll game, a guy who can roll hard to the rim, catch lobs, and be uh, create that vertical space above the rim as a lob threat that the Blazers haven't had in years, maybe since J.J. Hickson when the Blazers were truly bad during Dame's rookie season. And additionally, Whiteside is efficient in limited post-touches. Why I want to emphasize limited is because there's not a best-case scenario for the Blazers where Hassan Whiteside posts up a lot. There is a best-case scenario when Hassan Whiteside can bully little guys, can make sure if they try to put a power forward or, or a, a stretchy four on him or a bad switch, that when he gets into the post, he's efficient and smart and bullies people who try to take advantage of his, some of his inefficiencies down there. And the last thing I think for best case scenario, Hassan Whiteside, is that he's a minutes eater. That he can stay on the floor for 30 plus minutes a night. Only once in his career has he been a player who averages over 30 minutes a game. He's uh, he's usually been in the high, mid to high 20s. But I think for the best case scenario for the Blazers and considering what they're dealing with, uh, with the rest of their front line, it's he's a guy who can play 30 minutes a night. And that isn't just conditioning or foul trouble. That's also the ability to stay on the floor defensively when teams go small, when they get rid of traditional centers, or they put floor spacing bigs on there to kind of test his ability to guard away from the rim. He's a guy who can match up with a lot of different... Best case scenario, white side is a guy who can match up with a bunch of different lineup types on the opposing team and play 30 minutes a night every single night. And I think finally what that would mean is that when we get to the All-Star break, the best case scenario for for Hassan Whiteside is that he's the unquestioned third best player on this roster. And you say, this was a good trade because where would where would the Blazers be without him? That's your best case scenario. Here's your worst case. The financially motivated Hassan Whiteside entering a contract year chases stats and remains a rebound magnet without really improving the Blazers defense. Uh, he chases block shots and values those counting stats over maybe being a useful defensive player and, 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 and actually boosting up the defense in favor of getting the type of numbers that earn you that one final big contract. Also, the worst case scenario for Son Whiteside is that he wants more touches and is a black hole on offense that shoots, like I mentioned, below 50% from the free throw line. A guy you throw the ball into and doesn't move it and takes tough post-ups or just demands post-ups to make him happy the type of guy who needs touches to flourish in an offense where frankly there's a plenty of better guys who can get touches 
And the worst case scenario is this is sort of the wrap on what's been on Whiteside is that he's inconsistent and that he has attitude issues. And that forces the Blazers either to give up on him or to move Zach Collins to center, complicating an already incredibly thin power forward rotation and forcing guys like 39-year-old Pau Gasol and 36-year-old Anthony Tolliver to play huge minutes because they're more reliable than Hassan Whiteside, who's in theory in his prime. And really, if we're getting right down to the brass tacks of worst-case scenario for the Blazers and, and Hassan Whiteside, it's that in December, there's a watch for when will Yusuf Nurkic be healthy. We're starting a countdown before Christmas, looking for when will Nurk return and save the Blazers, because Lord knows they need him, because Whiteside is a just black hole and a huge issue. Now, I would like to offer a few caveats before we move into segment number three. Um, The worst case scenario isn't that bad because he's on a long, he's on a one year, not on a long term deal. He's on a one year contract. He's entering free agency. Uh, There's reason to suspect he'll be motivated. And I'll get into that more in the third segment. But, you know, like if the worst case scenario, if if, if he is truly terrible in this, and this kind of tanks the Blazers season because he's just a terrible fit, um, this isn't the type of thing that needs, uh, you know, multiple assets to get rid of him off the roster or or that you're stuck with for two and three seasons with no way out like this is a this is a rental and it's relatively low risk and fairly high upside and in addition to the uh a caveat for the best case scenario if he is this defensive force who's blocking three and a half four shots a game and leading the league in defensive rebounding and and anchoring a you know a surprisingly excellent blazers defense and, he, and, and assuming in this scenario that he's, he's, you have to play him ahead of Nurk, even when Nurk's healthy in February, the Blazers won't be able to afford to keep him around. So there's a, good, there's a good part about the worst case. There's a bad part about the best case. Of course, it is, as Terry Sott says, often, to report much to the reporter's chagrin, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. All right, in segment three, we're going to talk about realistic role and expectation for Hassan Whiteside. But before I do that, I want to tell you guys about No House Advantage. No House Advantage is taking a new, exciting spin on daily fantasy sports. Instead of salary cap drafting, No House Advantage offers daily player prop contests. Download No House Advantage now from the App Store and use the code LOCKEDON to receive two free tokens when you purchase two tokens. It's a $10 value. That's code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, to receive two free tokens when you purchase two tokens. No House Advantage. Check it out. All right, welcome back. Still... Lockdown Blazers, still Mike Richmond. We talked about Hassan Whiteside's 2018-19 year in review. I gave you the best case and worst case scenarios for his career as a Blazer. Because I really think his career is a few months long. One season. If you're lucky, 100 games. Probably more like 90. But... Segment three, I want to give, you know, real expectations. I'm not a big predictions guy. Um, If you listen to this podcast, uh, you know that I kind of shy away from predicting here's how it's going to go. I'm more of a set the the scene, here's why it might do that. Um, if If this is your first time listening, thank you very much for picking up an NBA podcast in early September. You are a true fan, and I appreciate you and your family. If you're a longtime listener, I also appreciate you and your family. Don't get it twisted. So what's a realistic role for Hassan Whiteside, now that I'm done pandering to my audience? 
I think a realistic role is that he starts and plays 65 games. And by, by starts, I mean that there's no there's never a question about who should start at center. They're, they're like, a realistic role is that he comes in as the, you're going to be the five, and he plays the five, and there's no questions asked, and, he, and he's available 65 to 70 games. Um, I also think it's realistic that he's better than last season um, when he struggled a little bit. You know, his... It, his, it's just sort of his efficiency and consistency that was down, and it's it's how much of an impact he was as a defender was that was what kind of slipped. Um, I think he'll be better than that. I think a change of scenery will help him be better than that. I think better teammates will help him be better than that. I think a more competitive team will help him be more engaged more regularly. The Heat were, for the most part, in the playoff hunt, but they were in the playoff hunt for one of the bottom seeds in the East. Uh, the Blazers, you know, they might find themselves in the hunt for the bottom seeds in the West, but the way the Western Conference kind of shakes out, that also might be three games out of second place is 11th place. You know, it's going to be it's gonna be a very crowded um a very crowded conference. I might have overstated that three games between two and 11, but you, you guys get the plan. So I think he'll be motivated by a change of scenery and he'll be motivated by being in a contract year. And his, this is probably his last chance to get a legitimately large sizable deal for multiple seasons. Um, guys like him centers without a ton of defensive versatility. Like he's a good defender, but he isn't guarding guys 25 feet from the rim and asking him to do that would be a mistake. So guys like sort of guys in his class, you know, there isn't, people aren't playing premium pennies for centers who aren't super, and for sort of lack of a better term, super switchy. But if he was really good as a defender on this team, I think this is, he could, he could earn himself a big contract. And uh, whether you like it or not, that chance to to have one more um, shot at a hundred million dollars is motivating. I also just think it's worth noting if we're talking about realistic role and expectations that there aren't a lot of other options at center and there's not really a lot of options along the front line. I anticipate Hassan Whiteside getting a relatively long leash. Like I don't think he's the type, I don't think he'll get the Myers Leonard treatment where if he screws up early in the game that he just gets his ass sat on the bench for a month. Like he's not going to get Myers. He's not even going to get like the Myers light, like where, where early in his Blazer career, Nurk might get yanked early by Stotts just to kind of, or if he picked up a couple bad fouls, you know, Stotts pulls him out and kind of says, you know, sit, sit for nine minutes because we, you know, other people are playing smarter than you. I don't think the Blazers roster is set up such that you can um, do anything but give Whiteside a relatively long leash. I don't think you can turn the, this season over to 39-year-old Pau Gasol and Zach Collins at center and say we're going to be one of the better playoff teams in the West. I don't think that's re- I don't think it's realistic. So just roster construction-wise, there's room for him to be less than perfect because the Blazers can't like look down the bench and say, "Oh yeah, Scalabissier is going to come in and he can eat up, you know, 27 minutes tonight because you can't play." So I'm not predicting that uh Whiteside is a 15 and 15, two and a half block type of guy this year. Um, but I can see him being a double double machine, a guy who easily averages a double double anytime you give him regular minutes. And I can see a, him as a guy who approaches 30 minutes a night. I don't think he's a 30, you know, I think his career high is 32 and a half minutes a game. I don't think he's there, but I think he's at about 29 minutes. The Blazers sprinkle in 15 minutes of Pau Gasol here and there. They go with a little bit of Zach Collins at center here and there, and they kind of 
keep keep Whiteside's minutes down so he can be at his absolute best in a in a twenty nine minute role where he's a double double monster. Is it realistic to think that? And this is the thing I think the big question with him is: it realistic to think that he is a good enough replacement for Yusuf Nurkic that the Blazers are an above average defensive team and an elite offensive team? No, I don't. I just don't think that. I think Yusuf Nurkic is. I think Yusuf Nurkic was one of the 30 best players in the NBA last year before he got hurt. I think he was really fantastic. And the idea that Hassan Whiteside, three years removed from his best season, um, coming into a new system and all those things, that he could be that good, I don't think is realistic. Could he be helpful? And could this team be good with him on the floor? Absolutely. Could he be the Blazers' third best player? Yes, I think that is a realistic expectation. But could he be the sort of catalyst for this team in my eyes, being like a top 10 defense and a top 5 offense, I don't think so. I think that comes from growth of other guys that we'll talk about in other episodes of this podcast in the future. I kind of think Hassan Whiteside, and you guys might know this if you listen to my other podcast, I kind of think he's kind of meh. Like, I, he doesn't... To me, when I've watched him, and I've probably seen him play over the last three seasons, 25 games, um, just on League Pass, uh, and anecdotally, like, he seems to always kill the Blazers when he comes to Portland, but... I've never been a guy who's a huge fan of his game. So that's a that's like a starting point that I'm going to use as an ending point for this podcast. So my expectations are a little bit tempered, a little bit tempered with him because um I just don't think even if he gets back to his heights that he's a game-changing force anymore. I think he's a starting center. I think he'll help the Blazers. I think they're still a playoff team with him involved, but are they an elite of elite and can he hold down the fort? and be a Yusuf Nurkic level good? That's not what I'm seeing. But reasonable minds can disagree. I encourage you, if you do disagree, shoot me an email, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com, or tweet at me, old school way, the old school, new school, old school way, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Also do me a favor. Tell your friends about Lockdown Blazers. Tell them that I'm coming with the ultimate... 25-minute bite-sized segment season preview over the next three weeks. Everything you need to know to get ready for the Blazers season is going to be right here in the Lockdown Blazers feed. Tell them they can get this podcast wherever they subscribe to podcasts already. That's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. I really appreciate you guys listening. I'm looking at the list. We got 15 more of these. Excuse me, 14 more of these. I'm not going to tell you who's next. Check your podcast feed tomorrow. It'll be in there. Appreciate you guys listening. I'll talk to you soon.